Hello, and welcome to the Financial Classroom with Will and Tim, where two friends believe that the American dream is built by living within your means. Listen as we discuss how to build wealth, live frugally, and attack life with a financial plan. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Financial Classroom. Today you're listening to episode 72. Uh, we have Miro back on with us. This is our, his third time on, so he is officially the most, I don't know, the guest that's come on the most, I guess, is what He's I'm trying to favorite, say. He's our favorite, I think, is what you're trying to say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Everybody who's come on <laughs> has been great. But yeah, no, we, uh, we but we do always appreciate having Miro on the podcast. So yeah, definitely glad to have you and welcome back. Thanks, guys. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, today, we obviously, Eric is also with us. Um, yes, give everyone a shout out. Sorry. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> so t- today, we are going to be talking about pension specifically. So we did an episode on the RCMP pension, and we will pull, uh, someone will pull whatever episode up that is, uh, whether Tim or Eric right now. And uh, we'll let you know. But we did an RCMP episode pension with Miro, and uh, members found that super helpful. And so today we're actually going to do an RCMP pension specific uh, episode again, but on the top questions that people have on the RCMP pension. And so Miro obviously works for uh, Harbor Front Wealth Management. Correct. And uh, so he has clients and he deals with uh, RCMP members on uh, quite frequently, if I'm correct, Miro. Yeah, very frequently, especially the last two years or so since the uh, mm. actually since the podcast came out uh, very frequently. That's good. Cool. Um, I'm glad members are listening to this and reaching out. And uh, mm. so uh, today, the, the, these again are the top questions that members have that they've asked Miro and he's compiled a list of questions for us. So uh, um, I guess this is what we're going to be diving into. So um, did, did you guys get the episode? Yeah, I just look okay. back. It's episode 33. That's the introduction for the defined uh, benefits pension for the RCMP there. Okay. Sweet. Awesome. Thanks for that, Eric. No Appreciate problem. it. Okay. So, um, Miro, we'll get right into it then. Um, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's talk about the RCMP pension. So, any anytime we talk about the pension, it's going to be related to the RCMP pension or defined benefit pension, et cetera. So, the first question that we have is, how is the pension amount calculated? That's one of the most common questions we kind of get uh, from members all the time. And members obviously are also receiving their uh, annual pension statement, but essentially oversimplifying here, here a little bit, but it is based on um, years of service. So the, the amount of years a member spend with the RCMP and then uh, obviously your salary. Uh, we created, or my, my associate Alex created a very simple spreadsheet where members could just uh, plug in their numbers and it provides the uh, bottom line. So if anybody's interested, just shoot me an email. But essentially at year 20, it's about 40%, 40% of your uh, average salary over the last five years. Then it goes to year 25, it goes to about 50%, roughly 50% of one salary. And then between years 25 and 35, there's a fairly aggressive uh, increase in that formula. So year 30, you'd be at about 60%. And then year 35, you'd be maxed out at 70% of members' salary. Oh, yeah, Miro, that's really interesting numbers. Um, I actually, I wasn't personally aware that I'm not RCMP or anything, but just kind of continuing on with it, I guess, uh, is there any kind of a fluctuation that happens with that whatsoever as time goes on for members? It does fluctuate, and this is actually not um, specific to the RCMP pension itself, but pretty much any 
defined benefit pension plan works the same way. The longer a person stay with, stays with their employer, so the longer members obviously stay with the RCMP, the higher uh, the benefit is potentially. Also, the other uh, variable is, is the income or the annual salary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can just expect that the annuity or, or the uh, annual income, pension income, will increase with your seniority. Seniority. So there's not much fluctuation. But there's also other parts uh, in the pension option or pension calculation. Uh, members are also able to take out what's called cash transfer value of the pension. And this is the amount that fluctuates much more than the uh, pension income itself or the annuity itself. And the... I, I, sorry, I just want to say, I think that's why everyone calls the lump sum. Like within members, a lot of people say, oh, it's like the 20-year less than a day lump sum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. what uh, Miro was talking about with the fluctuation there. That's exactly what it is. So uh, members will have two options. Either once they retire, either they will uh, decide or choose to take an annuity, which is annual or monthly income, or some members would decide to take a lump sum, which is, you know, the term for the lump sum is cash transfer value of the pension itself. So what it means is uh, uh, the pension company is paying out a lump sum and then lump sum will have to produce income for the rest of uh, members' life in retirement. So that's the part that is actually influenced mostly, most significantly by interest rates. And interest rate mm-hmm. environment. So that's the part that fluctuates, uh, could fluctuate fairly significantly. And for the annuity, um, I would assume that it that uh, it's indexed to inflation. So, like as you get older, the annuity would go up, or or is that not the case? Good question. It is correct. It is indexed for inflation. Okay. Uh, so we had one of the biggest increases last year, and mm. it, it's indexed actually in line with CPP and OAS and okay. benefits, but it, it is an index pension plan. Cool. And um, what happens when somebody leaves the force because of some kind of disability? Uh, do they get to? Do they still have the option for this annuity, or or does that go away? Do, do they just get the lump sum and so they're kind of left to fend for themselves, or? When somebody leaves for disability, they could opt for an immediate annuity, which is, which means that they would start collecting a certain amount, and it is listed on the pension statement itself immediately as soon as they become disabled. But they could also, we've had some members actually opt out for the uh, cash transfer value uh, at the time when they become disabled. And it just depends on age, you know, family situation, and so on and so forth, uh, which option is more suitable for a particular member. The other thing to keep in mind is that when somebody leaves uh, because of disability, generally, they will also qualify for two years of uh, disability income Mm. on top of the uh, lump sum and top of the pension itself. Okay. That disability payment is generally uh, cut off after two years. Okay. From what I understand, this is fairly new. Because apparently there was some litigation between um, Canada Life and and the uh, RCMP itself. But from what I understand, we had a couple of recent members uh, leave because of disability, and they did. Uh, they are receiving a disability coverage as well. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, as a since I'm a member myself, that uh, uh, if the disability is a, as a result of your work, 
from policing in any way. Uh, you can also apply. Obviously, we're focusing on our actual pension, but you can also apply for the VAC pension, the Veteran Affairs pension. Correct. Uh, whereas, if you get an injury on during shift, or as a result, if you have PTSD or things like that that cause you enough disability that you're forced out of the force, uh, you can also apply for a VAC pension, which is uh, tax-free and uh, lifetime as well, and indexed to inflation. Correct. That's a very good point, Will. So uh, the uh, Veterans Affairs Disability would be on top of any other pension benefits that the member would be qualified for. Yes. So, okay. So I, I want to touch on the next question here. And I, I hear this sometimes in the office when uh, when people are talking and other members are talking. So uh, it's, it's a lot of times people are talking about the 24 years or 25-year pension versus the 20 less than a day, the lump sum pension. Um, because a lot of times people don't understand what happens to the pension when they die. And so I, that's one of the questions here. So what happens to the lump sum essentially or the cash transfer value? Should I die? And what happens to my pension if I die? Yeah, very good. Those are very common questions as well. So the 20-year, uh, just like most people probably already know, is the cutoff when a member can decide to take the cash value or the lump sum, as, as members apparently call it. So after 20 years of service, you do not have the option anymore of uh, taking the lump sum and you must default to the uh, annuity. Mm -hmm. And the other stipulation is actually age 60, uh, but most members that we're talking to, I'd say 95% or more, <laughs> will reach the uh, year 20 way before uh, age 60, just because most members you know, start early. early young. Yeah. 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 So the difference is that should you opt in and opt for the annuity and stay in the pension plan, and should you die uh, prematurely, if you do have a spouse, your spouse would be entitled to 50% of the benefit. And there is also an allowance or benefit for your uh, minor kids, minor children, and it is 10% uh, per child, maxed at four. But this benefit uh, for your uh, children is actually would be cut off when your kids turn 18 mm -hmm. age 18 that's when the benefit is uh kind of cut off yeah so 50 percent to the spouse uh 10 per child topped up at or capped at uh, four if you or should you decide the uh, to take the lump sum or the cash transfer value of the pension itself that is actually one of the biggest uh benefits of the um, cash transfer value that the cash itself would be allocated to your RSP, to locked in RSP, to your TFSA, and to, to a non-registered account. So should you die, the capital that is left over from the pension would be part of your estate. And then whoever are the beneficiaries of your estate would receive those funds should you pass uh, prematurely. Sorry, I, I know it's hard to do a math breakdown. Just I want to do a quick... Sorry, Tim, I, I'll let you go right after this. But just, just do a quick math breakdown. So... At the regular pension, if you're making $100,000, that's your five best year. Yeah, We're just doing simple math. When when you retire, you're making $50,000 in your pension. Okay. Now, Roughly. if you die, your wife would get 50% of your pension. So your wife will be getting 25, 25 grand a year. Correct. I'm correct on that. Yeah. yeah so it's 50% of your 50% salary. So if you're making 100 grand, your pension is 50 grand. And if you die, your wife now gets 25 grand a year indexed to inflation for the rest of her life. 
and 10% per child up to four. Now, if you get the lump sum, let's say if it's 500, 600, 700, 800, 900,000, doesn't matter. I can't tell you what the rates will be at the time when you retire, but if you pull that out and you put it in an account and you die, your wife will keep all the money, all the money that you took out, the five, six, seven, up to 900, a million dollars, doesn't matter what it is. She keeps all that and the they, they can't touch it. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to clarify. So, so you have the choice between whether, or I guess like your spouse has the choice between whether they want the lump sum or whether they want to be like kind of paid out that amount, like that 50% of your pension for the rest of her life or, or does it start when she reaches a certain age or how does that all work? No, sorry. Your spouse would not have that choice. You're making that choice uh, while you are, you know, alive. And okay. and again, if you stay in the pension plan itself, the formula is that should you pass, then the wife gets half and 10% per kiss. If you decide to take the cash out, the cash transfer value, it's mm-hmm. either or. If you take the cash transfer value, then it's uh, it's, it's your money and, and it's part of your estate should you pass. So then it passes on to beneficiaries directly. Okay. And if you, like, if you have retired from the force and you're already receiving your um, like defined benefit pension and you pass away, does your spouse get that 50% still or? Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. She gets the 50% of your 50% pension. Right. Is yeah. what Miro was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So 25 grand, like sometimes your spouse will have to go back to work as a result. Gotcha. So- yeah, yeah. So our next question here is, uh, yeah, what would happen to my pension or my cash value if I end up getting a divorce? Is there any implications there? Uh, there is. Speaking of spouses, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this um, is, I don't want to say this is common in the Mountie world, but I know quite a lot of members that, uh, that's been divorced or as a result or maybe moving around throughout their whole career, going to really yeah. crappy postings and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I can't say that how common it is, but it is, you know, common out there. What, uh, what we did find is that it's fairly common in the RCMP world for a uh, husband and wife to be both RCMP members, which surprised me a little bit be- before uh, diving into this niche. <laughs> and it's, it's very, very uncommon, actually, that husband and wife, or both spouses, would be uh, RCMP officers. Back to your question. So uh, essentially what would happen is there would be division of marital assets and the pension itself, it, it would be considered a marital asset, so the pension would get divided. If both members or if both spouses are members, then there would be a formula where the pension would get equalized. If uh, one spouse is a member, the other one is not, and does not have a uh, defined benefit, then actually the pension plan would pay out um, half of that cash transfer value to the spouse. Okay. Okay. To the other spouse. And the spouse that is part of the pension plan itself could decide to stay in and collect annuity but the annuity would be reduced and there's a formula but roughly by about a half or uh, the member could decide if it's still within 20 years and the member is leaving the member could decide to take his part or her part Um, but that's what happens there now if the cash transfer value was already transferred out 
So that means that the member already left the force is not in the RCMP because you cannot, you cannot take the cash transfer value and stay in the force. Unless, unless you, you come back and you could come back at, as a reservist, but you could not be, you could not elect to take the cash and stay in the force. Just like you could not collect pension and, and stay on full time. So uh, if the cash transfer value was taken out prior, now it's divorce, uh, then it's fairly straightforward. It's just half of the assets would be divided between the spouses. Now, I don't suppose there'd be an option for, yeah, say you get split up and, you're, uh, at, and your cash value is 100,000 bucks at the time, your spouse isn't a member of the RCMP. Uh, would you just be able to like pay out that 50 grand to her and like receive your full pension still? Or is that you not could, an option? Yeah, you could. So again, it's going to be case by case. So let's say somebody has cash transfer value of half a mil mm -hmm. and there's other RSPs in the family and the spouse's RSP and, and those RSPs equal to half a mil. They could just decide that, uh, you know, by mutual agreement that, uh, that the member keeps the cash transfer value, but the other assets equal to about half a million. So they could just decide, well, there's no need to split. There's half a million here, there's half a million there. And we are agreeing to split it that way. Sure, cool. Generally, if there were no other assets, uh, one spouse would have to equalize the other spouse by splitting off the pension. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so if there are other assets and the member would want to keep 100% of the pension, whether it's the annuity or uh, you know whether it's the uh, cash transfer value, the member, if he made an agreement with his or her ex, would actually pay out the spouse by whatever amount they agree on awesome yeah yeah that that's super interesting and uh i i just as we're going on here i just kind of think like it's a good thing i'm an accountant because even just kind of talk about these benefits and stuff just has me thinking like in a perspective of somebody else a lot of this would kind of be confusing so i just feel also to say it's it's nice to have someone like yourself to kind of show people this path because i think that a lot of people would kind of get lost in the in space mm. with this but in saying that, I do have a question to pose for you then. So say I want to take a cash transfer value and bank it for about 10 years while working a different career. Is this possible? And if so, what would that result be? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. And again, it's a fairly common question because a lot of our CMP members, as I said earlier, will start in the career fairly young. So by the time they have 20 years, they're either in their early or mid 40s. And, and at that point, if they're ready for a career change, you know, just being in the, the personalities they have, most of them that we talk to, we just can't imagine sitting around for the next, for the rest of their lives and being retired, right? So most members we talk to, if they're considering retiring, you know, year 20 or 25 fairly early, they are generally looking for a second career or a different career. And uh, when you take the, the cash transfer value or the lump sum out, generally it'll go to three different pools. On your pension statement, it says uh, amount that is tax exempt and an amount that is taxable. So the tax exempt amount will go into a locked in RSP. Locked in RSP, RSP, exactly the same thing. It's just there's a little bit of a few differences, but very, very similar. And the rest of the funds, if you have a contribution room in your RSP, you will top up the RSP so you don't have to pay any tax on those funds. And then the rest of it will go into a TFSA or non-registered portfolio. You don't have to do anything if you don't want to with these funds, 
until the age of 71 and they, then age 72, part that went into the locked-in RSP, you must pull out about 5%. Same thing with the RSP at age 71, you must convert to a RIF, and then the following year, which is age 72, uh, you must pull out about 5%. But if we're talking just 10 years, if somebody wanted to just work for 10 years and then start pulling income out, well, let's say, just to make the math really, really simple, let's say the cash transfer value after tax between those three uh, pools will be about half a million, just to make it simple. Let's say you have half a mil, you mm -hmm. want to bank these funds, you want to work for 10 years. Well, if, if you invest the portfolio correctly, mm -hmm. which you obviously should, you mm -hmm. should at least average 7% in a moderate type of portfolio. You should average 7% per year. And mm -hmm. as most of you know, at 7%, your money doubles every 10 years. If you average 7% yeah. per year, your portfolio will double every 10 years. So let's say you know you had half a mil after tax, leaving the RCMP, now you work for 10 years. 10 years later, your portfolio combination locked-in RSP, RSP, TFSA, non-reg should be at about a million or better. You basically have two 19-year pension at that point, essentially. Correct. Um, Correct. And that's not including any money that you've saved when you're working in your earlier career, like when you're still a member, right? So um, I really like what you're saying here, Miro. I think the key is what you're saying is that you have to invest it. Because if you just let it sit, if you get $500,000 at 20 year less than a day and you get that lump sum and you just simply park it there in cash and you go work for a different job for 10 years, 10 years later, that, that inflation's already eaten away quite a bit of that 500,000. So the key again is to, to make sure you're investing it, whether um, you're doing it yourself or you're seeking out a guy like Miro, if you don't know how to do it yourself and, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the key that we're saying here. And, and 7% Miro, some people will be like, where the heck can you get 7%? My fund's averaging two, 3%. But if you just look at this, the S&P 500 return over the past 50 years, 60, 70 years, a uh, 7%, like Miro is saying, is, is modest. It's not, uh, yeah. he's not shooting for the stars here. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a modest return. Exactly. I mean, even if you just look at it, the uh, TSX or some portfolio of ETFs, yeah. mm -hmm. we, we just went through, you know, you could argue we went through the 20 some of the 20 most volatile years in history. We had 9-11, <laughs> then we had 08-09, mm -hmm. then we had the uh, pandemic, now we have we have another war, we had high inflation. Yeah. And yet throughout this period, mm -hmm. just like Will was suggesting, if you look, look at S&P 500 or if you look at TSX, mm -hmm. uh, you know, both of those uh, benchmarks are actually pushing uh, north of 8% on average, not every single year, but on, mm -hmm. on average. So over 10 years, getting 7% should be very, very achievable. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah. you mentioned that there's a, that there's a taxable component to, to the cash portion if you decide to pull it out. And, and you said that some people use the strategy to, if they have RSP room, use that RSP room. What about for somebody who's like maxing out their RSP room already? Should they be looking I guess, do you have a like kind of a rule of thumb of like how far in advance somebody like that should be looking ahead and being like, okay, maybe I need to start saving some RSP room for that specific year so that I'm not in the top tax bracket? Tim, yeah. I really like this question because I was thinking about this myself. <laughs> <laughs> that tax account it really yeah. relates to to yeah. yeah. We had we had this conversation actually with members uh, quite often. 
And uh, again, if somebody is leaning towards um, uh, the lump sum, then we would advise to um, kind of save up the RSP contribution room and not make any contributions. And if you are not, then consider maxing out. Is there the a cutoff actually... date? Is there a cutoff year that you you would say to stop contributing to the RSP and stop maxing out like year 10, 11, 12, 13? If somebody knows... Yeah, right away, right away. If you're thinking you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna leave after twenty years and you're gonna be leaning towards cash, then you would stop contributing right away. But the thing is, with the members, because of the pension plan, um, the pension plan itself actually eats up a lot of your contribution room. Mm -hmm. You're not getting the regular twenty six or twenty seven thousand annually. Yeah, you're only getting depending on your again income. But generally, members are getting between seven and nine thousand. Mine's uh, eight grand this year. Yeah, you hit yeah, it right exactly. out of the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, and that's because of the pension adjustment. The pension itself eats up a lot of your RSP yeah. contribution. Room. Yeah. The only other year was actually 2022 uh, when we were advising members to max out their contributions because of your retro pay. Yeah. So if you were not leaning towards cash, because 2022 would have been your highest tax year ever. Mm -hmm. And then if you do take the cash transfer value, then that definitely that'll be your highest tax year mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. Good stuff. Cool. Well, I mean, you know, leading up to this, there's been so much information and it, it sounds like, you know, what we've been talking about so far is someone who is kind of working to grow their account, working to grow that, that investment fund and to, you know, get that number as high as possible to finally, you know, be financially independent and maybe stop working if that's, you know, at some point in time, if that's the goal, I'm sure it is for many people, but you know, when do you usually kind of advise people that you know when 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 is it time to retire when is it enough <laughs> that's a good question it's it's the most common question not only from the rcmp members but from the general public do i have enough you know it doesn't matter really if it's a multi-millionaire we're talking to or you know middle class canadian that's that's kind of the most common question so what we suggest and what we recommend is to start with your lifestyle because it, it is every family is different. So it's more of a lifestyle question than anything else. So hopefully, um, you know, if you are in a spousal situation, your spouse and yourself already had that conversation. And if not, you should know what your burn rate is, meaning how much do you need to spend either annually or monthly in order to be comfortable? Currently, right now, while you're still working, what we find is that it, it's about the same number that will carry over into retirement. You're not going to make an uh, RSP contributions. Hopefully, uh, you have no debt, so your mortgages will be paid off. But as far as lifestyle spending, it should be about the same what you're spending now or more, actually, because you might be traveling more. You'll have more time on your hands. So I would definitely not advise to allocate anything less than what you're spending or what you're burning through currently maybe just increase it for the first 10 15 years of retirement by 10 or 15 or 20 percent and then as you get older you will probably slow down uh you know just because as you age you're not going to be traveling anymore as much those are just fact of facts of life and then you will look at various sources of income that you will have in retirement for RCMP members, the plan, it's the, the pension plan itself is very, very uh, generous, and it's one of the best pension plans, you know, in Canada. Whether you stay in or you take the uh, cash transfer value, both of those options are very, very 
valid and, and very helpful. Uh, then you will qualify for CPP, Canada Pension Plan, which you can expect about 1500 per spouse. So again, if there are two spouses, 1500 each, you know, 3000 per month. There's a bridge formula in the pension plan itself, but when the bridge falls off, then OAS kicks in. So again, between the two spouses, OAS would be about 2800 per month. And if there are two pensions, generally that's about, that'll be about 6,000 per month. So you look at those numbers first, and then what is the deficit? What else do I have to cover with either, uh, you know, personal savings, TFSAs, non-registered, or possibly, you know, investing in real estate or other asset classes? Awesome. I love that because I'm always trying to figure out what is the right number, right? There's the 4% rule in a lot of uh, the other, the financial independence community where people talk about, they could pull 4% from their portfolio. And, and some people are more conserved and they do the 3%. And if you, so if you have a million dollars, you can technically pull 30,000 or $40,000 out from your portfolio and hopefully never run out as uh, you're, you're thinking that market is going to outpace uh, your withdrawal rate essentially. And uh, yeah, but uh, I, I, I find that really interesting because, and, and, and you said it there, Miro, the key is uh, to make sure obviously you're, you, you're not uh, going into retirement with a bunch of debt still. Because a lot of members don't think about that, that uh, when you, even if you take the lump sum or the 25-year uh, pension, that if you lose half your salary, you go from 100000 or whatever, 130, it doesn't matter what you're making, and then down to half of that. Uh, if you still have a mortgage, you still have, let's say some people have car payments or whatever payments out there, credit cards or whatever, that uh, it's it'd be almost impossible to retire if you were to say, hey, you're going to cut half your salary today off. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Especially if you live in Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the lower mainland folks. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's I think that's, that's really key there, um, that uh, what you said there. Okay, on to uh, one of the next questions here. Um, so that's same mural. I'm retiring now. Uh, I'm at 24 years in a day, or I'm at 20 less than a day at 19 years. I decide to retire. I just decide to either take the lump sum value or to to take the 25 year pension. What happens after that? So, Sarah, do you know what the steps are and the timeline for that? Yeah, we do. We, we did help, uh, as I said, a few uh, members and a few families through the process. So essentially, once you put in your notice, you'll, you'll get a package, your pension package from your HR department. And then if you're less than 20 years, you have the option to apply for cash. So you'll have those mm -hmm. two options. If you're beyond 20, then it's just the uh, annuity itself. And uh, the process itself, it's about two months, two to three months uh, before the payments actually start arriving because uh, everybody is uh, working from home. Apparently, everybody's uh, behind uh, mm -hmm. still. Uh, so it's pretty straightforward if you're taking the annuity. If you decide to take the uh, cash transfer value, you will need, as I said earlier, three destination accounts. So you, you either have or you will open a locked-in RSP. You will need to have an RRSP. You will need to have a TFSA. And generally, we're seeing that you know there's more funds in the pension because you can only contribute about 80000 uh, into the TFSA now. Uh, so generally, you will need a non-registered account as well. So you should have these accounts in place prior if if you're planning to take the cash itself. And then you would deal with the receiving institution. The receiving institution would actually help you uh, fill out all the paperwork because that's the institution that would be receiving the funds that are tax-free. 
And also you have the op option of sliding part of that um, taxable part of the cash value into your RSP directly without any tax withholding at source. See. So generally, uh, if, if you're getting ready, uh, please expect to not have uh, pension income for about two months, mm. two to three months, three months would be max, but two months is what we're seeing. Really good to know. And that'd be the same if you uh, like if if you're looking for just the cash payment as well, like it'll take that two to three months or. Same, same for both options. Yes. Okay. Because the cash transfer value is actually transfer transfer format goes uh, processing center is in, I believe it's in Montreal actually, and then okay. they issue physical a check that is then uh, sent over to the receiving institution. Okay. Uh, so the cash transfer value takes a couple of weeks longer, but both options are about two two to three months. Now my tax mind is like always going, and so it. I, I don't don't suppose that you have the option to like receive say like part of that cash value on December 31st and part of it on January 1st so that you're getting taxed in two different tax years. You can try but no. <laughs> Is that a thing though? Is that a possibility? No, no it's not. Unfortunately it's okay. not. Yeah. It's taxable when it's received. Uh, we had a few members time it in a way where 2022 was the big year because of the retro so they just pushed mm. it to 2023 oh yeah and and but but that, that was an unusual year other than that you don't have uh much of flexibility the other thing we advise is to kind of put in your notice early in the year mm. first couple couple of months uh there's some vacation pay or whatever else but then if you put in your notice say in february versus if you put in your notice in october then you have your full year worth of taxable income okay. and your uh, cash lump sum is taxed on top of it versus, you know, if you put in your notice, say January, February, you only have two months plus vacation pay. Uh, so you still mm. have a few brackets before you get to the top bracket itself. So that's the only way okay. if, if you're planning, if you're planning, and it also depends when your 20 year cutoff is, if it happens to be early in the year, perfect. And then some members will not wait for year 20. They might go year 19 or 18. So that gives you more flexibility. But if cool. you're if you're pushing it all the way out to year 20, uh, you know, the only tax reduction strategy would be to try to plan it early in the year versus later mm. in the year. Sweet. Yeah. And yeah, we, we've talked in this podcast about cash and annuity, obviously, but it, it's not going to be the same for every person, right? Like I imagine like, if somebody comes to you, you're going to assess their situation and say, like, I recommend cash or I recommend annuity. And what would be kind of some of the things you would look at that might have you guide people one way versus the other? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. Again, very common question. Uh, Will already kind of pointed it out. If there's no debt, Mm -hmm. You know, if if you have no debt payments, then generally we would kind of steer you towards the uh, cash transfer value. Mm -hmm. And the other variable is the family situation. If one of the spouses already has a good pension or defined benefit, or if one of the sp spouses is a member, you know, and one of the spouses is past year 20, so has no option but to stay in. Then I think it's it's almost a no-brainer for the other spouse to at least consider uh, the cash transfer value because you kind of splitting it down the middle. You will have a good portion of your income will be in the form of pensions plus CPP OAS, 
And then also you would be increasing your net worth significantly by pulling that cash transfer value out. And like and Meryl said, you can check to your, to your, to your kids and, or loved ones or whoever the beneficiaries are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like Meryl said, if you have, uh, if you, if you're both RCMP officers, if you live off one pension, let's say for even five, six years or whatever, the other one just take the lump sum and invest it and not touch it. All of a sudden, now you have like almost three pensions. Like, yeah, it down is the very road. powerful. And, you know, we've done these calculations. So we do have a software where we can plug in, you know, everybody, every family is different. So it is family specific. But it really comes down to lifestyle. Both options are good. But if you're confident you can average at least 3% on your investments, the cash transfer value wins every time. Mm. Gives you more ability, more flexibility as far as you know, reducing income in some, reducing taxable income in some years when you do not need those funds increasing in other years, and so on and so forth. But again, the biggest thing is that you're leaving some something behind to your loved ones, to your beneficiaries, kids, grandkids, whoever it might be. Mm. Uh, so both options are good, family specific. If one member or one one spouse, it doesn't have to be an RCMP member, but if one spouse already has a pension plan, then at least strongly consider looking at the cash transfer value or the lump sum value as uh, mm. members call it. Cool. Yeah. I just want to add something that people forget often is that uh, you can retire, Miro, you mentioned this earlier, 20 less than a day, 19 year um, lump sum pension and come back as a reservist. Like, Come back as a reservist and work as a regular RCMP member still and get paid regular cons- first-class constable wage still and and still have that salary coming in. And now you still have the lump sum on the side. So that's that's a I guess that's an option that not every single job has where you can retire and then come back and kind of get the same amount of pay still as a as a first class constable. So yeah, that's that's something yeah, to no, I, actually I do have clients that have done that and what they're saying is the best decision ever, and apparently they're making more money than before because there's uh, they're working somewhere up north, and there's the uh, don't know exactly what the terms are, but the uh, away from the home, the uh, oh northern dime or whatever. So when you put it all together, apparently it's more than uh, what they were making before. <laughs> mm. So it is a good strategy. Yes. Fair enough. That's awesome. Um, so Miro, is there anything that you would also say to the RCMP pension that members should know if they're listening to this podcast in terms of uh, defined benefit or lump sum, any uh, key things that a lot of members maybe don't know that uh, that you can touch on that we haven't touched on at all? I think the key thing is look at your finance. And this is not specific to the RCMP, mm-hmm. by the way. Yeah. Um, I'm meeting a lot of engineers, physicians, you know, very, very successful and smart people. When it comes down to finance, I'm shocked every day how little knowledge there is and how little finance is actually being, or personal finance is being taken care of. Mm -hmm. So the sooner you start, the better. Uh, Start with your current lifestyle, have a budget, see how much you're spending, invest the rest. And the pension plan is fantastic. Whether you stay in or whether you take the cash, both both options are very, very generous. It is... Actually, it is the best pension plan in Canada. And as you're getting closer to year 20, again, look at your lifestyle. If you're happy in the RCMP, you don't want to leave. Obviously, you're staying in. But if, if you 
you know, I've been there for 20 years. You're looking for whatever reason to possibly, you know, looking at a different, look at a different career, different career option. Then I would strongly encourage you to at least look at the math, look at the planning, see if the lump sum, the cash transfer value makes sense for yourself and your family more than staying in the pension plan itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and I like that. Yeah, I was just going to say like th- this episode like it's it's really been focusing on the RCMP pension, but I think there's a lot of principles here that that apply to anybody with a defined benefit pension. Correct. Like correct me if I'm wrong, but like like you said on that year 19 when you pull out that cash value, there's going to be that taxable portion whether your RCMP defined benefit, whether your teachers defined benefit or really any kind exactly. of defined. So the, the formula is exactly the same. What is unique to the RCMP is the year 20 and age 60. Most other plans uh, cut off at age 45 or 50 and year 10 or 15, right? Mm. They just don't want that money actually leaving uh, the pension right. plan itself because they're kind of counting on the capital going back in when the, when the uh, pension member kind of passes on. Mm. So the RCMP pension plan gives more flexibility than, you know, teachers, firemen or anybody else out there. Okay. To add to that quickly, just because I'm curious, has there been any specific advice you've given to your clients to kind of work around that a little bit? Well, my advice is that it's lifestyle. Right. If you're happy, if, if you're happy in your career, right. you're not leaving. But That's if you're true. looking mm-hmm. at potentially after 20 years of service, you know, I know there's a lot of stress. I understand it's it's not an easy career to be in. So I know a lot of members are uh, looking at options year 20 or even prior. Mm-hmm. And if that is the case, then very, very often the cash transfer is or might be the right option for the family versus yeah. staying in and, and just collecting your annuity later on. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, if you're an RCMP member and uh, Enrich Academy also uh, is free for RCMP members through uh, MPF, just uh, if you're an RCMP member listening to that, just just me to talk about financial education in general. I know, uh, heck, I think I talk about this on the podcast lots, like the TFSA, people use it as a tax-free saving account instead of a tax-free investment account. And uh, that's one of you know big mistakes that people are doing and not investing with their within their RSP and just holding things in cash only because of fear of market volatility. But it's just it, if you understand how the market works and, and knowledge a little bit, and just understand that market volatility is normal. But over time, companies are going to expand and profits will grow and their share prices eventually go up. That's why we look at the history of the stock market. It goes from point A from the bottom and it's going trending upward direction. So um, yeah, thank you so much, Meryl, for coming on. That was a very knowledgeable for RCMP members and just for uh, just for every like regular listener in general too, because um, like you said, a lot of this is also just general personal finance that people have to understand and do. And I, I do like how you said, no matter what step you take, it is family decision. Um, we have good pension. Um, whether you take the 25 year defined benefit or you take the cash transfer value, uh, both are really good choices. So as a member myself, I think uh, I I know which direction I'm headed and uh, that's just me, but do your own research. And if you can start putting away some money yourself nowadays, instead of just relying specifically on the pension, that would be the way to go, right? So I don't want any member to go just 
not put anything away and just say, I got a pension behind me and just rely on that only. And yeah. that's, I think when you get in, yourself into a pickle come retirement time. So, yeah. So thanks so much, Miro. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah. me. Happy to be here. Yeah. And I just want to say like, if you're, um, if you're an RCMP member listening to this at, or really just anybody looking for financial advice, but I guess I'm specifically thinking RCMP because of this episode, yeah, like they can they can get into contact with you, right? Um, and kind of start developing a financial plan and kind of be able to ask those questions on a more personal level of which option is best for me. How can I how can I achieve my goals and and really start uh, working towards their future with you, right? Yeah, absolutely. We'd be happy to help uh, either in person in uh, we're in Metro Vancouver or virtually anywhere in Canada. Very cool. So with that said, Miro, I know you've gone on three times now, but uh, you want to just let everyone know where they can find you, how they can reach out to you if somebody wants to find uh, or, yeah, just want to reach out to you in general. Email would be uh, the best, which is uh, msvoboda at Mm harborfrontwealth.com. Or you could go to uh, uh, our YouTube channel, which is Easy Retirement, Easy Retirement with Miro. Mm -hmm. And then my contact info is there mm-hmm. uh, or just call the office directly and uh, talk to me or one of the other advisors. But uh, we'd be happy to uh, we'd be happy to help anywhere in Canada. Awesome. Sweet. That's good. And even if uh, like I think this might go on to um, Miro's channel there with the Easy Retirement with Miro. There's links there that you can find Miro. And then also if you're listening to the podcast, it'll be in the show notes too, where you can reach out to him and find him as well. And if you're watching YouTube right now, feel free to find us on uh, Podcast Financial Classroom. So, yeah, Eric? Yeah, I was just going to say thanks for coming on again. I know that I didn't have the pleasure the very first time, but I know the last meeting that I was here. So it was it's nice to see you again and just mm-hmm. provide so many, you know, just important details, not only to our CMP members, but just to just any regular person out there. I mean, we consistently talk about trying to get ourselves ahead and, you know, make that future for ourselves as stress, you know, less stressful as possible. And I think people like yourself are really important to have because you provide a really good perspective and offer uh, sound advice that's realistic and isn't, you know, cutting any corners on it. And so I appreciate what you do. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on again. It's It's been a real, real good time. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to yeah. do it. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, if you're a six-figure millennial or if you are a guest and you want to come on the show, find us at Financial Classroom. At, email us at financialclassroom.gmail.com or uh, find us on Facebook or Instagram. That is it, guys. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. And if you're a member, best of luck. Stay safe. And uh, thanks for all you do, everyone. Uh, until next time. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more episodes and financial tips, check out our Facebook page, The Financial Classroom. And if you like this podcast, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on our various podcast platforms. Later.